Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Before we get started on today's episode, I just want to wish my parents a happy 50th wedding anniversary. 50 years, guys. It's unbelievable, and we love you so much. Happy anniversary. In Season 2, Episode 29, Happy Birthday to Who, I told the story behind the iconic song that has become synonymous with birthday celebrations around the world. And you've heard Phil and I wish our loved ones happy birthday on past episodes of The Missing Chapter. Now, we want to extend that on-air shout-out opportunity to you, our loyal listeners. Email us at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram and let us do the rest. Birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, what better way to celebrate life's accomplishments than with a personalized message on one of Spotify's most popular podcasts? So email us today at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or message us on social media and let's get started. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horner, And we look forward to adding one of your celebrations to the History Podcast. The second book of Genesis describes what life was like before sin entered the world. No sin, so no evil, no disease, no shame, no guilt, no poverty, no famine, no tension and hostility between humans and animals or humans and God himself for that matter. Then of course, the perfect Garden of Eden and humanity thereafter became tainted, diseased with the entangling pains of sin when Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Adam, influenced by Eve, and Eve, tempted and deceived by Satan the serpent, now have set the course of humanity and the environment as a whole. Sin has entered, and the Garden of Eden is no more. As depressing as the story goes, there's an even better redemption story coming later, but that's for another episode. Today, though, humanity is still dealing with the weight of sin and the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we get a glimpse of the Garden of Eden, partaking in flourishing feasts, in almost gluttonous holiday celebrations, whereas, unfortunately, we see the evidence of the fall of man in the famines that plague a vast portion of the planet. Well, scientists all over the globe have studied and toyed with modifying genes and preventing famines from ever happening. Some tests have been successful, whereas some food production schemes have gone incredibly wrong. Either way, the goal of eliminating hunger worldwide has always been a priority since the beginning. So, historically speaking, what schemes have scientists conjured up to solve this plant-producing problem? Well, hang on to your seats, everyone. This might sound a little odd, but let me introduce you to the 1950s and 60s idea of atomic gardening. Yes, you heard me right, atomic gardening. The use of radiation to influence the growth of plants and provide different defenses. The concept of atomic gardening may sound as if it belongs in a sci-fi movie, but gamma-ray gardening is very real. According to GardeningKnowHow.com, both scientists and home gardeners were encouraged to harness the power of radiation to begin experimenting with their gardens. Here's how it works. Plants would receive radiation, usually cobalt-60, for a specific amount of time and were exposed to varying degrees of radiation 
in fields or specially designed labs. And sometimes a radiation source was placed at the top of a tower and the radiation would spread outward in a circle. Then you would have wedge-shaped plantings that were made around the circle in order to ensure that each crop received differing amounts of treatment throughout the planting. Then the source of radiation would be lowered into the ground into a lead-lined room. When it was safe, scientists and gardeners were then able to go into the field and observe the effects of the radiation on the plants. Now, hopefully, these scientists find some benefits that they didn't otherwise witness, but unfortunately, some of these mutations coming from the highest levels of radiation might as well kill the plant, burning it or making it sterile. However, it was also possible that they could introduce some beneficial traits, which usually came from plants that were placed further back from the radiation and would exhibit changes invisible to the human eye as their DNA was altered and mutated. And that's the goal, beneficial mutations. And as any sane person would realize, some beneficial mutations would be at the expense of some other benefits, which, in fact, then would not be a beneficial mutation at all. For example, an ear of corn that yields bigger kernels, but less food overall, is not really beneficial. However, some of these mutations would later prove beneficial in terms of size, shape, and even disease resistance. So, for some, it was working. Atomic gardens began to crop up, pun intended, across the globe from the United States to Europe, India, and Japan. In the UK, atomic activist Muriel Haworth established the Atomic Garden Society in 1959, whose chief goal was to encourage ordinary people to incorporate the practice into their gardening. And sure enough, it became popular in the 1950s and 60s. Both professional and home gardeners throughout the world began experimenting with gamma-ray gardening. President Eisenhower even endorsed this practice with his Atoms for Peace project. And because of that, even civilian gardeners were able to obtain radiation sources. As news of possible benefits of these genetic plant mutations began to spread, some started radiating seeds and selling them so that even more people could reap the benefits of this process. Soon, just like the one in 1959, atomic gardening organizations formed all over the world with hundreds of members. Many people were trying to mutate the breed, the next discovery in plant science. Now you might be thinking that this story must have a Chernobyl consequence and catastrophic ending, and you're not wrong in anticipating that end, but we haven't seen the catastrophe, well, yet anyway. And though gamma gardening is responsible for several present-day plant discoveries, including certain peppermint plants and some commercial grapefruits, popularity in the process didn't really last very long. In today's world, rather than risking the consequences by using radiation, a process that, I don't know, anyone I think would question from the get-go, scientists find much more success and certainly much less risk when using genetic modification in laboratories. And if you're interested in starting this process at home, I hate to say it, but home gardeners are no longer able to obtain a source of radiation, so you're out of luck. There are still a few small government facilities, though, who carry out radiation gardening to practice. But for the most part, it's a lost art. And I'm sure some of you listening are saying to yourselves, yeah, thank God it's lost its popularity because I heard the season three, episode 32 segment about radiation from our guest, Melissa Fisher. And any sort of tampering with radiation at all to reach small benefits just doesn't seem to outweigh the possible catastrophic consequences. 
And I think we all see this as an opportunity to insert a very easy pun into this situation and say that this would not be a glowing recommendation. This has been a Missing Chapter Short, your quick fix for one of history's forgotten stories in a busy world. Listen to more shorts as well as full-length episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast providers.